Hey everybody, welcome to True Crime with the Teenager. I'm your host, Hadley. TCWT is where we talk about the most infamous true crime cases with the girl who was too young to even drive. Today's case is the painful death of Shanda Sharer. Hey everyone, welcome back. Um, first thing I want to do is apologize that I have not been active on my podcast for the past few weeks. It takes a long time for me to compile information and I've just been busy. Um, I'll try and be a little more consistent. So like I said, I apologize for that, but I will try and get ahead and post a little more often. But like I said in the introduction, today's case is the torture and death of 12-year-old Shanda Sharer. People, I'm not really entirely sure how you pronounce her name, but I'm just going to do Shanda because it's spelled S-H-A-N-D-A. So I'm just going to do Shanda. But um, yes, the death of Shanda Sharer. This case is just so crazy because of its horrific nature and the perpetrators. Um... Yeah, some cases, if you are into true crime, you know there are just some cases that are crazy and they just stick with you, like there are certain things you remember and stuff, and this is one of the cases, which is why I chose it. Um, It's just one of those cases that I have remembered um, over the years. Um, First thing I want to do is go over some disclaimers. Um, True crime is a hobby to many and it's so interesting, but it is true so these are real victims so please keep any unkind banter or opinions to yourself in the description are my sources and some charities i'm passionate about i also have a few trigger warnings in my first podcast i didn't do trigger warnings which if you're in true crime most you should know and you should be able to take the gore of it but i want to be a little more um sensitive so some trigger warnings are torture sexual assault and death of a child um so yeah i also watched eleanor neal's video of this case on youtube she's amazing if you don't know her that's kind of surprised me because she's one of the biggest youtube true crime personalities um she is great i love her videos um so let's go ahead and get started our story takes place in albany indiana Shanda Sharer and her divorced mother, Jacqueline, moved there in June 1991 so Shanda could be closer to her father, Stephen Sharer. Shanda was born on June 7, 1979 in Pineville, Kentucky and remained there until she moved. Since Shanda moved, she began attending Hazelwood Middle School and quickly began making friends. She was known to have a great bubbly personality and participated in school sports such as cheerleading and volleyball. Eventually, she would meet 14-year-old Amanda Heverin, who she had a physical altercation with when they met. Polar opposite to Shanda, Amanda kind of had a bad girl bully niche and was kind of known as the tough girl around school. Due to that altercation, Amanda and Shanda got detention together and somehow became fast and good friends. Shanda's mother, Jacqueline, had her reservations about this friendship, though, mainly because of the fight they had not too long before this, um, but she just got over it and Amanda and Shanda got closer. 
Shanda learned about Amanda's toxic on and off relationship with a 16 year old girl named Melinda Loveless. Then Amanda and Shanda began a romantic relationship and started exchanging love letters. I'm not entirely sure if their relationship was physical or not or many details about it, but either way I don't really feel comfortable talking about it since these are minors and two young girls. So you can look it up, but not on my podcast. Um, there is speculations though that Amanda kind of groomed Shanda in a way because again Shanda was only 12. She was a bit young to really explore her sexuality but like I said that's just a speculation. Um, but it is a little young in my opinion but that's not what this case is about. Um, as their relationship grew Shanda's Shanda, excuse me, grades started declining and her mother started protesting Amanda's apparent bad influence on Shanda, but continued letting them stay friends. In October 1991, Shanda and Amanda attended a school dance together and Melinda saw them. As I said earlier, Amanda and Melinda had a very toxic on and off relationship and in this season of it, Melinda was kind of obsessed with Amanda which obviously made her despise Shanda because she could, cool as you say, replace her. Um, but if you have any friends that are in this kind of relationship, you can, you kind of know how on and off it is. Um, or you could listen to like any Taylor Swift song and you would know what kind of relationship this is. But yes, they're relationship was super toxic and so Melinda despised Shanda. Some background on Melinda is that she was raised in an extremely toxic and abusive household and her father sexually abused her mother and Melinda and I think he also did to her sisters. It wouldn't surprise me but I feel that that could have been the root of part of this um, of Melinda's estranged mind which she'll We'll get into that later, but Melinda sees Amanda and Shanda together and gets extremely angry and jealous. So she actually goes up to them and tries to fight Shanda, but is stopped because like I said, they're at a dance. In the following weeks of this incident, Melinda begins harassing Shanda and telling Amanda in letters that she wants to kill Shanda. Amanda obviously freaked out, gives these letters to prosecutors and they say they will contact Melinda and the sharers. So Shanda's parents become increasingly concerned about Shanda's well-being. Not long after that, Shanda's mother finds a suggestive love letter that Shanda was going to send to Amanda and with the death threats and Shanda's grades failing, she decided it would be better to take Shanda out of public school and put her into Our Lady of Perpetual Catholic School excuse me, into Our Lady of Perpetual Help Catholic School. I'm not really sure if she put Shanda into the Catholic school because she found out about her sexuality or her well-being in general. Could have been a mix, could have been one of them. Not really sure. Either way, Shanda begins adjusting to her new life and keeps in contact with Amanda, but it slows down increasingly because Shanda has her life back together and is making new friends. So... Shanda kind of goes to the other side of town and obviously 
like she did when she originally moved. She made new friends, and if you've ever moved or moved on to a different phase of your life, you kind of know that you move on, make new friends, and kind of lose contact with your old ones, especially in the 80s when you don't have Snapchat, Instagram, DMs, messages. It was probably harder to keep up. So on the fateful night of January 10th, 1992, Shanda was at her dad's that weekend in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Back in Albany, Belinda Loveless was out with Lori Tackett, Hope Rippey, Tony Lawrence, who are all from Madison, Indiana, when she decided the fate of Shanda Share. All aged 15 through 17, Lori was driving, Melinda was in the passenger seat, and Tony and Hope were in the back. Previously that night, the girls were at Melinda's house. Tony and Hope never knew Melinda till then when Lori introduced them. They all borrowed Melinda's clothes and were hanging out when Melinda brought out a knife, telling the girls she was going to 12-year-old Shanda Sharer's house and to she was going to scare her with the knife, I guess as a lesson for associating with Amanda, even though Shanda had already moved on. Melinda had a much more sinister plan in mind, but no one else knew that. Since they knew who this Shanda girl was from Melinda's point of view, which is probably this girl that stole my girlfriend, that type of thing, these girls didn't like Shanda, so they obviously agreed that it would be a good idea to go scare Shanda, and they head to Jeffersonsville, where Shanda is just sitting and watching television. At 8pm, the four girls arrive, and Tony and Hope, the youngest of the group, as they are 15, are told by Melinda to go get Shanda from her house. Their plan was to lure Shanda out of the car by telling her that the ex-girlfriend, Amanda Heverin, was waiting for her in either the car or at the witch's castle. Um, sources vary. The witch's castle was an abandoned house that was a popular hangout, for, hangout spot for teenagers. A lot of kids smoked there, drank, and engaged in other activities similar to those. There's a legend that was told by Lori to the girls that nine witches lived there, but the townspeople burned it down to get rid of the witches. Something about Lori Tackett is that she was into dark things. Like, she would probably be considered a goth now, but she was very into things like the occult, a uh, very dark person, odd. So, yeah. So, Hope and Tony try getting Shanda out of the car by telling her that they will take her to see Amanda. And obviously Shanda wants to go, but her dad is still awake. So she tells the girls to come back after midnight. So the girls leave and Melinda is obviously frustrated because she just wants to do the deed, but the girls assure her that she'll see Shanda, Shanda again soon. So the girls head to Louisville across the river and go to a concert to kill time while Shanda is getting ready to be picked up. Shanda told her dad that she was watching television downstairs for the rest of the night so he could go to sleep. Shanda changed her clothes and was ready to be picked up to see Amanda. She was very excited because she hadn't seen Amanda in a very long time since she lived far. The girls arrived back at Shanda's at about 12.30 a.m. This time, Tony, Tony Lawrence refused to go get Shanda, so Hope and Lori went instead. Throughout this case, you'll see that Tony was very hesitant and reluctant about everything that was happening. While Hope and Lori were going to get Shanda, Melinda hid in the backseat under a blanket with the knife. 
Once Shanda got in the car into the passenger seat and realized Amanda wasn't there, Melinda jumped up behind her, grabbed her by her head, and held a knife to her throat. They then decided to take her to the witch's castle, and on the way in the car, she was taunted and verbally harassed by the girls while still at knife point by Melinda. They were asking her about her relationship, they were just being mean, and Shanda started crying, and she knew she was in deep, deep trouble. We are now at the part of the story where the abuse is going to start so it will get really graphic if you don't want to continue totally understandable i will see you next podcast so they take shanda who is now sobbing to the witch's castle and start tormenting her while she's laying on the ground melinda played with her hair and threatened to cut it off by saying oh your hair is so pretty i wonder how it would look when you when i cut it off which obviously scared Shanda. She took her rings and passed them out to the others, and Hope took Shanda's music playing Mickey Mouse watch and danced to the tune it played while Shanda cried. Lori told Shanda there are human remains in the witch's castle and hers would be next, which is just awful. I I can't imagine the fear that Shanda was going through through all of this. And all the while this is happening, Tony is standing there, regretting her choice to come with these girls. Then Lori gets a smiley teacher out of her car and lights it on fire, but then realizes it could draw attention from passing cars. They quickly left with the bound 12-year-old Shanda. Melinda made Shanda switch bras with Hope while they were driving, and then they drove to Lori's house and went to the edge of her wooded property. Because... Lori lived on a big property, so they went to the woods of it. So, while Tony and Hope waited in the car, while Lori and Melinda took Shanda out and proceeded to give her an extremely brutal beating. She first, Melinda first punched her with her fists, then kneed Shanda in the face, causing her to cut her mouth on her own braces, because Shanda had braces, so when her mouth got pushed and it caught on her braces and that's happened to me and it's so painful but not as bad it just hurt really bad but um they then tried to slit her throat but the knife she brought was too dull melinda and Lori are obviously the ringleaders in this case and hope joins in the torture on and off while tony does not participate but hope then comes out of the car to hold shanda down for more torture Melinda and Lori take turns stabbing Shanda in the chest like it's a game. They then strangled her with a rope until she fell unconscious. They thought she was dead, and so they put her in the trunk and told Tony and Hope she was dead. So by now, they all know that Melinda wasn't just trying to scare her. They knew that this was a murder plot. Um, but they drove to Tackett's house and went inside to drink soda and clean themselves like they just had a fun night out. When they heard Cher screaming in the trunk, they were surprised because they thought she was dead. Tackett went out with a paring knife and stabbed her several more times, coming back covered in blood again. At 2.30 a.m., Lawrence and Rippy stayed behind as Tackett and Loveless went country cruising, driving to the nearby town of Canaan. 
spelled K-N-A-A-N. Cher continued to make crying and gurgling noises, so Tackett got fed up and stopped the car. When they opened the trunk, Cher sat up, covered in blood, and her eyes were rolled to the back of her head, but unable to speak. Terrible. So Tackett took a tire iron from the trunk and beat her with it until she was silent. And they also sodomized her with this um, tire iron. Um, and then Lori told Melinda to smell it. So smell the tire iron, which is gross. Um, they also, oh, yes, I already covered that. Loveless and Tackett returned to Lori's house just before daybreak to clean up again. Um, Hope asked about Shanda and, and Lori laughingly described the torture. So sadistic. I think that Melinda and Lori are really, really sadistic. Um, the conversation woke up Tackett's mother, who yelled at her daughter for being out late and bringing home the girls at this hour. Because at this point, it's like four. So Tackett agreed to take them home. Thinking Shanda was dead, they decided to burn her body to for a forensic countermeasure, I guess. Hope knows a remote location to do the deed, so they drive there. On the way, they stop at a Madison gas station and buy a two-liter Pepsi, drink it, and fill the empty bottle up with gasoline. I think you know where this is going. They then arrive at the remote location Hope was talking about and open the trunk to see a brutally tortured Shanda who is wrapped in a red blanket. Um, they all were looking and wanted to look to see this poor girl, but Tony refused to look. Um, Hope then took a bottle of Windex and sprayed Shanda. She sprayed her in her eyes. She sprayed her in her wounds all over and just humiliating her. She was taunting her and saying, you don't look so hot now, do you? They then drag Shanda out of the trunk of the car and Hope pours the gasoline in the Pepsi bottle on her. Shanda's last word ever said before she passed away was mommy. Her last words were calling out for her mother after eight hours of hell that still wasn't even over. They then light her on fire, burning her alive. Because of so many failed previous attempts to kill Shanda, Melinda wasn't sure she was dead. So they returned to the site after driving around and burned her again. It is unclear if Shanda was alive during the second burning, but she definitely was the first time. After eight hours of sexual assault and torture and being burned alive, 12-year-old Shanda Sharer is dead. What an awful way to go. And I just can't imagine what she went through. That morning, the four girls around 9.30 a.m. went to a McDonald's and joke about how their sausage looked like Shanda's charred body. How vile. These girls are so young. As much as they are completely aware what they were doing and how just monstrous it was, they were joking. 
they were joking like teenage girls it it just baffles me um how they could do this and make a game out of it because they've been doing that the whole time especially melinda and lori so it is now january 11th and shanda passed away around 4 or 5 a.m and later that day melinda actually called amanda heverin and told amanda that she and her friends murdered shanda like it was an achievement amanda was so shocked and didn't believe it because let's be honest if your friend called you up and was like um yeah i just tortured and murdered someone you wouldn't believe them so amanda decided to play it off as a joke and not say anything or report it in the morning two hunters were about to go hunting and found the charred red blanket with shanda's body inside they called the police around 10:55 a.m and told them a body was found and the jefferson county detectives and team were called out to the scene to take in forensic evidence the body was originally a jane doe and they thought it was kind of like a drug deal gone wrong little did they know something even worse happened back at the sheriff's household stephen share shanda's dad realized his daughter was missing early that morning and knew something was very wrong after phoning friends and neighbors asking if they knew anything all morning he got nothing and called shanda's mother jacqueline in the early afternoon around one or two they met and filed a missing persons report for shanda at clark county police department which neighbors jefferson county both departments communicated and connected the dots that Jane Doe was Shanda Sharer. On the whole day of January 12th, Tony Lawrence was tormented by what happened. So they, she felt so guilty that her and Hope Rippy decided to turn themselves and the other girls in. Around 8.20 p.m. on January 11th, 1992, Tony Lawrence walked into the police department and told them everything. She rambled and cried, and I think Hope Rippy was there also, kind of tuning in, but Tony Lawrence was the one who really cooperated and told them what happened. After the autopsy was done, all of the things that they said lined up with the evidence that Shanda's body had. So they said they lit her on fire. She was obviously lit on fire and was alive because they saw smoke inhalation so she could have she was breathing in the smoke of the fire so she was still breathing when she was lit on fire meaning she was still alive and um there was evidence of sodomy and windex on her body etc so all of that lined up and they knew this was true on january 12th melinda loveless and Lori tackett were arrested and put into jail along with the other two girls during the legal battle girls were tried as adults and the death penalty was actually of conversation because of how horrific the crime was but all four of the girls were able to take plea deals to avoid it so no one was getting the death penalty all four of the girls had suffered some kind of physical or sexual abuse in their lifetimes which the defense used a lot tony and Lori and hope all had histories of self-harming behavior and Lori was actually diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and was suffering from hallucinations. And Melinda, often described as the ringleader in the attack, had the most extensive history of abuse and mental health issues. 
after lots of deliberation, the girls were charged as adults with the crime. Tony Lawrence was sentenced to 20 years, only 20, for her cooperation with the police and turning herself in. Hope Rivy was sentenced to 50 years plus 10 years probation, and Lori Tackett and Melinda Loveless were sentenced to 60 years. They all served their time and were sentenced at the Indiana Women's Prison in Indianapolis. After this case, Melinda's father was also charged with sexual abuse that affected his daughter's life and others the awful night. I think about that a lot, considering that a lot of killers and offenders were abused when they were children. Your childhood has a big effect on how you may act further in your life. And obviously, this was all Melinda and her father, who was also a scumbag, didn't do it. But maybe if he didn't abuse them, it wouldn't have been so bad. But um, he also sodomized his daughters, which could have been what provoked them to sodomize Shanda. But yet he was charged after this as well. So at least that some a little more justice was served out of this case but um none of these women actually served their full sentences um tony lawrence was released on december 14th 2000 after only serving nine years she remained on parole until december 2002 on april 26 2006 Hope Riffey was released from Indiana Women's Prison on parole after serving 14 years of her original sentence. She remained on supervised parole for five years until April 2011. Tackett was released from the Rockville Correctional Facility on January 11, 2018, the 26th anniversary of Shara's death, after serving nearly 26 years and has completed an additional year of parole. Loveless was released from Indiana Women's Prison on September 5th, 2019. After serving 26 plus years in prison, she will serve parole in Jefferson County, Kentucky. So all of these women were out now, and in, I think it was 2006, um, Hope Rippey was on Dr. Phil with Jacqueline Vaught, which is um, Shanda's mom, and she confronted her and that's on YouTube, so I recommend watching that. And there's also lots of interviews um, with Loveless and Tackett. So, yeah, I recommend looking into that if you're more interested. Um, but they all got released early, so none of these, all these women are on the street now. Um, all the women had some kind of reform in prison, and they said they feel a lot of remorse for what they did to Shanda and her family. Um, Melinda worked and trained service dogs in prison as part of her program, and Shanda's mother, Jacqueline, actually donated a dog and named her Angel in Shanda's name, so she donated a dog for a service child, um, and it was kind of healing. A lot of people thought it was insane that she wanted to do that, but it was a way of her healing. I think forgiveness is helping her, um, deal with Shanda's death, um, which is really nice. I mean, you have to be a really good person to be able to forgive the people that would do this to your daughter. But um, Cher's father, Stephen Cher, actually died of alcoholism in 2005 at the age of 53. In an interview with Shan, in, in an interview, um, Jacqueline on 
the in- investigation discovery series Deadly Woman, she said that she, um, Stephen was so distraught and destroyed by his daughter's murder that he did everything he could to kill himself besides put a gun to his head and that he drank himself to death. So the man definitely died from a broken heart. Um, that's so sad. Even after all those years, that was what, 12 years after his death or Shanna's death, he was still in so much pain. That just is really sad. Um, he died missing his daughter, which is really sad. But the Shanna Share Scholarship Fund was established in January 2009. The fund planned to provide scholarships to two students per year from Prosser, P-R-O-S-S-E-R, School of Technology in New Albany, and one scholarship to a student who is continuing his or her education and the other scholarship to a student who's beginning his career and must buy tools to work or other equipment. But by November 2018, um, Jacqueline stated that the scholarship had been depleted and was no longer accepting donations. I would have loved to put, to put that in my description of this episode, but unfortunately it's not active anymore and I'm not entirely sure why, but maybe they should they just didn't couldn't keep it going but that is the case um a few closing opinions or remarks i have is that i think they could have served much longer sentences for this crime considering the nature of it they assaulted tortured murdered a little girl but i'm not a prosecutor so what's done is done but i think i also think that melinda and Lori were extremely sadistic and enjoyed hurting her and kind of made a game of it while hope was more into that mob mentality they're all equally responsible but if you've ever read lord of the flies where the boys just go crazy because of their current situation i kind of think that's how she was because she was very on and off with it but also with tony even though she didn't participate in the crimes she still let them happen and watched it all when she could have prevented it she could have gone to the police she could have done anything to help save this little girl but in the context of the story, she kind of looks like a hero. And don't get me wrong, she is the least, like, she's the least, like, held for responsibility. But she's not a hero, and the story kind of makes her look like that. But I think if it wasn't for her, they would have a lot less to work with in terms of evidence. But, yeah. So, that is all I have for today. Feel free to form your own opinions on this case. It is truly crazy. Once again, my sources and a few charities are down in the description. I'm Hadley. I hope you had an amazing week and the rest of your life. Bye!